lontano Tevez, Tevez da solo, Tevez, Tevez, Tevez è l'unico dell'aria, rimane fuori tutti Tevez! Welcome back to More Than A Game, a podcast dedicated to the Premier League, the A-League and more. On the pod today is a waning moon over Redcliffe, a stampede runs through the central coast, the ruse march on and City lose on the final day but still have 11 reasons to boast. I'm Damon, I'm hosting the pod back-to-back weeks for the first time and, and this, this week with me I've got Shannon who, who gets another another start on the MTAG panel. How are you going, Shannon? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me back again. I guess we'll, we'll jump right into it this week. Is um, what, what was your moment of the week in, in the world of football? Um, well, I did originally have Milos Degenek and his pride of being handed the Socceroos armband. But honestly, given what happened last night with Christian Eriksen, um, the way the players and the staff and the fans responded to that, you know, I don't think anything in football can really top that. Yeah, yeah that that's a good one. Look, look, I had a had a couple of things, I, but I think I'm going to go for the and, and I'm not sure if you saw this. Uh, the Antoine Griezmann is is an official ambassador for the Yu-Gi-Oh trading card game. So, <laughs> which which that's probably throwing you back a few years. Um, I'm not sure if you ever involved with that. It was definitely a thing that was going around my high school. Uh, a long time ago, but I, I just thought it was hilarious. He, uh, he, there was a video on the official Yu-Gi-Oh Twitter account of, with interview with Griezmann, who's their official uh, sponsor or, or, or um, you know, front of their new latest campaign. I thought I thought it was hilarious. So a bit out of left field. That was my moment of the week this week. Yeah, that one uh, definitely brings me back. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll flip right over to own goal of the week what uh what didn't you like about this week in the world of football um there are a few funny things that i've seen around but i think um this one's probably fresh fresh for everyone but the brisbane raw fan pages after their loss which i'm like <laughs> we're gonna discuss later just absolute absolute wild ride there yeah, yeah. I think just being a Brisbane Raw fan in general is a pretty wild ride. But uh, yeah, you're right. We'll we'll get to that um, in a minute. I um I had a few own goals this week as normal, but I think I think I'm gonna go with uh, with Robbie Cruz being handed the the victory medal for for the best player at Melbourne Victory. In a way, it felt like a kind of kind of a middle finger to, to the whole club. You know, no one deserved it this year, so we gave it to Robbie Cruz. <laughs> yeah, that was high up in my list too. Um, I can think of many players that are way more deserving, but honest, honestly, they should have just given it to the fans or something like that for having to put up yeah. with such a poor season. Yeah, I mean, it would have been, you know, a small consolation for what's been a horrible year. And have, how about we jump right into... Um, a bit of chat about victory finishing last as the result of the midweek game, which was a catch-up game between Melbourne City and and uh, Newcastle. We we all, we spoke about the the Melbourne derby last week, and and victory scored that last-minute equaliser to kind of save their blushes of of finishing last. But it it was it was kind of written in in the stars that Newcastle scored a last-minute winner against City in in pretty dramatic fashion that jumped them off the bottom of the league and and over victory. 
in which what was literally the final minute of the season. Soccer Twitter lost its shit. And as it goes, victory finished bottom of the league. And and the first team to ever finish 12th, Shannon. What, what's your thoughts on, on everything going on at victory and, and Soccer Twitter's reaction? Well, I don't think anyone would have predicted this at the start of the season. I mean, if someone said they predicted victory finishing 12th, I think they're liars. Um, Soccer Twitter's been strangely positive from victory fans that I've seen. A lot of them are kind of happy in the way that even though victory have finished 12th, they're kind of getting satisfaction out of the fact that City have had a couple of bad games before the finals and there's optimism next season for Popovic and all this. So that was something that I didn't really expect to see. Yeah, look, it, look it's a pretty funny situation. You know, all the memes and every and all the chat about, you know, pre- pretty much nearly every fan. You, you can you can find fans of nearly any club in the league that are happy that victory finished last. And mm-hmm. on one hand, it's it's kind of funny that it happened. But I mean, on the other hand, it all it also proves that you know that that's how big and successful of a club that Melbourne Victory are is that people celebrate their their lack of success. So um, yeah, if I was a Victory fan, it's it's a bit of a consolation on on two accounts. You're right about about City losing against the bottom of the bottom of the league be, before the finals kick off and and also kind of taking consolation in the fact that everyone celebrates your lack of success like they won a trophy, which which would only prove to you that, you know, you, you probably are the biggest club in the country. So, yeah, look, there's a, a lot of changes obviously going to happen with Melbourne Victory next year, the new manager, and we expect to be a lot of a lot of player changes. So, yeah, stay tuned on, on Melbourne Victory and what happens there. But... We'll jump right into the two games from this weekend now, the, the elimination finals, which which ended in, in two upsets, Shannon, both lower-ranked teams going through. Uh, we'll start off with um, Friday night's game, which was, I mean, sorry, Saturday's game, which was Central Coast and MacArthur. You know, it looked like a pretty bumper crowd out in Gosford, and as, as the Mariners tried to continue to, to write the narrative that had been their season, but... It was a tale of two goals ruled out by VAR, which kind of was the story of this game, one at either end. And, I mean, at the end of the day, it was it was a 10-man MacArthur that ran away 2-0 victors after extra time. What, what were your thoughts on the game as a whole before we jump into some of the talking points? I think, first of all, this has probably got to be one of the most unpopular results in A-League history. The Mariners just didn't really seem to show up. Um, MacArthur weren't that good either, but it was just one of those games where this looked like almost Mariners of old. They just showed nothing really going forward, and it was a bit disappointing considering they had such a big turnout and they had everyone behind them that they just couldn't get up for this game. Yeah, and and look, Colby and I kind of touched on it last week, and we don't really know what may have gone on or what's been said, but Alu Kual starting on the bench again, Seemed a bit of a, a bit of a mysterious selection choice. Do you think that there was anything going on there, or, or is it uh, was it just he's out of form, or, or do you think there's anything more to that? I think it's maybe just the fact that he's out of form because he had that run of games where he scored. I think maybe what was it four or five games in a row, but since then I don't think he's actually scored a goal, or maybe he's only scored one. If you're uh, stagic. Are you going to pick an out-of-form striker or are you going to pick Matt Simon? I would be picking Matt Simon. Yeah, Matt Simon's Mr. Ever-Reliable. I mean, 
he's in the big games he he works people up and you know he's he's always going to give everything he's got so yeah i totally agree with that if you you've got to be in pretty good goal scoring form if you're going to be starting over matt simon at the mariners he's so yeah and um we'll have it we'll jump into a couple of the um the talking points from the game and i mean we've got to start with the derbyshire goal that that wasn't a goal if that had gone in surely that goes down as one of the goals of the season yeah, that was one of those ones where uh, sometimes a striker just scores an unbelievable goal and it's just purely his instinct to have a shot from there. And, you know, it, it's a bit of a shame that it got ruled out because that would have been one of the goals that's used in the advertisement and the highlight reels alongside those scorpion kick kind of goals. So, yeah, that was a bit of a shame. Yeah, look, look, it was a shame because you, you love goals like that to stand. But, I mean, at the end of the day, VAR is there to get decisions right. And, and to be fair to them, they got... They got this decision right. Um, he was offside, so so credit to whoever was up in the box there. But I mean, a, another another thing we'll talk about, and, and it's always going to be about VAR. It seems to be a constant topic in football the world over. But the Mariners had a goal ruled out at the other end, um, which was another tidy finish. But um, you know, the, the ball was was played through and and came off James Meredith, who stuck a leg out and. You know, I've read a lot of things this week, uh, the last couple of days rather, about what constitutes playing an attacker onside, whether you play at the ball or whether you have to play the ball in terms of attempting to make a pass or something like that. Shannon, in, in your opinion or your knowledge or, or interpretation of the rules, is, is this a goal or is this offside? I think I feel very sorry for the referees because they are just playing you know, they're playing it how they're told to interpret it, even though it does look wrong and it is wrong. Because if a player's sticking out a leg at the ball like that to try and stop it, I don't know how you can really say it's not playing at the ball. But that's the problem. The rules are so blurry that the referees just have to they have to officiate by the rules and it often gets um, it often leaves us with situations where we have things that just look absolutely ridiculous like this and end up spoiling a moment in the game. So, yeah, I do feel a bit sorry for them, but, yeah, I don't really agree with it. Yeah. Yeah, look, I I think it should have been a goal from from all my years of playing football and watching football. Um, if, if the ball comes off the defender who intentionally plays at the ball, I've always been under the, you know, interpretation that that plays the attacker on. And, and and in reading the actual wording of the rule, which I think is Law 11 um, from IFAB, when a defender plays the ball, so what 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 what? How do you interpret that? It's kind of like what I said earlier. Is it is it playing at the ball, or is it you know you an attempt to make a play at the ball, or is it you actually are an attempting a pass or attempting a clearance? Or I don't know. And, and it's hard, man. And again, that's up to interpretations, which the referees have been told you have to take on this interpretation of what the wording is. So we'll move on to, I guess, another VAR moment, which was the, the Meredith red card. How did you see this? Yeah, I thought that was a bit harsh. You know what I mean? First of all, um, whether or not it was a clear goal scoring opportunity is a bit you know, 50-50, I'm leaning more towards yes, it was, but whether or not it was clear because there was another defender, it wasn't direct on goal. So it was harsh with that. But then again, the handball, you know what I mean? If that's a if that's a goal-scoring opportunity and a player does that, it would probably be taken off him. So I just felt very, like, 
that James Meredith was very hard done by with that. I don't know if he shared the same opinion. Yeah, look, it, it's kind of difficult, right? Because I'm of the opinion that, yeah, I agree with you. That if uh, I think it was Arena, if he'd gone through and scored, that VAR would have brought the game back and said, no goal, that was handball. But I don't think that factors in to the decision about sending Meredith, Meredith off. He still made the tackle, rugby-like tackle, not knowing it was a handball. You know, if, if he thought it was handball and thought the goal wasn't going to be, then why didn't he just let him go? He still made the tackle and made the decision to bring him down. But but then again, I agree with you that was it really a clear goal-scoring opportunity? So it's at the end, I think, he, I think he was hard done by, but I also think it's even harder for an on-field referee uh, sorry, a VAR to overturn a red card from an on-field referee. We don't see it very often. And obviously the on-field referee is is still supposed to be the be-all, end-all of, of the game in terms of the rules. So it's very rare that you see a red card that's overturned to a yellow card, especially in a situation like that. So he, he was sent off, you know, rightly or wrongly. Um, and I think it was only, it was maybe less than two minutes earlier that uh, Ante Milicic had made made a, a, a change and he, and he brought Milligan into midfield and brought Ivan Franjic on and he'd really shuffled things around and he just never got a chance to see how that was going to work out. His plan was to let Milligan get into the midfield and start getting on the ball and moving it forward, but Milligan never really got that chance, did he? No, that's a shame too because, um, you know, we could be talking about Mark Milligan in one of his final games absolutely bossing the midfield, but instead... We're talking about these red card situations, these VIR situations. And, you know, a lot of people don't like VAR. And one reason, I think, is because instead of talking about a legend of the game, Mark Milligan, we're, we're sat here talking about red cards and VARs and that he didn't really get the chance to show if he can still do it in midfield. Yeah. And look, in, and in saying that, I, I have on my notes here that Milligan was still one of the best players on the field. And, and I feel that mainly because... Obviously, the game went to extra time. It was nil-nil, and MacArthur went 1-0 up really against the run of play. It was Charles Mbombois with his first ever A-League goal. It was a great little reaction header, and I actually don't know if it was officially given as an own goal or if the goal went to him. Do you have any light on that? Yeah, I think the goal went to him, and you know, yeah. it would be a shame if it got taken off him considering how good the celebration was too. Yeah, it was great, and I'm not sure who it was that, because obviously he ran up to the the MacArthur fans and he gave him the you know the hands on the ears and and then I'm not sure who it was but one of his teammates come up and ran exactly next to him and did the same celebration. It was really like FIFA esque where they just like copy the animation twice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but no, it was a great celebration and I mean from then on out the MacArthur were obviously down to ten men and and they were, they were playing five four zero for the better part of the whole of extra time. And and that's where I think Milligan playing, obviously he went back in the defense and, and was in right in the right in the heart of their defense. And he was, you know, both vocally marshalling them around. He was the first man to a tackle. He was everywhere. And and in talking about it, he didn't get the chance to go and show what he's got in midfield. He he got the chance to show what he's got as a center half where he started. And it could be very well where he ends his career, but he goes at least one more game. And um, obviously the game finished 2-0 with uh, Michael Ruse scored his first ever A-League goal as well right at the death of the game. You know, we often see this happen when the Mariners are really pushing, trying to get that equaliser, but it obviously didn't come. And 
and I'm not sure. I think it was uh, it was one of the Mariners' defenders went down with cramp or injury, or as, as the ball went through, and he kind of just ran straight past him and and was one on one with the keeper. So, I mean, it was it was a bit of a comedy scene, but that's kind of how it happens in those situations. Um, one question I did have to ask for you, Shannon, is: Do you think uh, Matt Derbyshire was cramping and had to go off, or do you think he's actually got an injured hamstring? My hope for the Bulls' case that he isn't actually injured. Um, I would say it's cramp, but as for Susayeta, who we also seen go down in similar fashions, he's looked a bit more serious. And if if even one of those two players is out versus Melbourne City, even though City are missing some stars, that could be it for the Bulls. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're right. Like obviously they're two of their they are their two key players really, and they have been for the for the better part of the whole season. So, yeah, if either one of those are missing, it's a huge loss for MacArthur in, in what's already going to be a tough game for them. One last thing about this game, Shannon, and and I saw you were involved in a bit of the banter on Twitter during the game, but the, the one question I've got is um, who, who had the rudest lid during this game? Who had the worst haircut? <laughs> there was a few shocking ones, but I think someone who come out of left field and took it late for me was Alu Kowal. Um, (laughs) I think the talk was between uh, Evans, the referee, and Stensonis. But yeah, Yeah. Ali Kowal just come on and he had had the shaved head and the noodle haircut combination. So he just kind of combined both of them perfectly. I think he came came right out of left field because he was sitting on the bench all night with his his hood up. And we, we actually didn't see it when we were talking about it on Twitter. And then... When he pulled his jumper off to come on, everyone went, well, Alu Kowal's won it. <laughs> he just combined all the rude haircuts in one. And enough about um, rude hair. Allah, I, I can't really talk about that. So we'll, we'll move on to uh, the, other, the other final, which obviously happened this afternoon. Brisbane, Adelaide in Redcliffe. Uh, Adelaide ran away 2-1 winners in what, I mean, the only way to describe it for me is a bit of a smash and grab. And it's it's always tough to go to Queensland, and but I also think it's it's another game that kind of proves exactly why I think the final series is so exciting. Anything can happen, and and teams can go away and, and do jobs like this. And uh, Adelaide took an early two 0 lead with with a couple of goals from from Tommy Urich and and really sat in very very defensively for the better part of 70, 75 minutes. And they held out despite Brisbane scoring midway through the second half and just attacking in wave after wave after wave. Shannon, what, what were your thoughts on on the game as a whole? Well, I, I, I did a um, match report on this one and I wrote about Adelaide United's resilience. And I think that's true because while they did have the two goals from Tommy Urich, which you're right, it was pretty against the run of play because Brisbane Raw, particularly in the sec- second half, were absolutely dominating everything. Their defensive structure and the way they were able to shut out the Brisbane Roar was just absolutely incredible. And Michael Jakobsen in particular, a player who a lot of people would have thought he was like pretty much done at the start of the season, he showed his real class. And I just feel Brisbane Roar, particularly Wenzel Hall's Warren Moon on the sideline was getting frustrated at them. But yeah, I feel Brisbane Roar with a different striker, like if Kudo had found any sort of form, it could have been a different game, you know what I mean? It was funny. I said after the game that there's a lot to unpack here, and and I think one of the one of the main points that that I had in my mind was, first of all, Adelaide were brilliant defensively, 
And you you don't hold out a 2-0 lead against a team that is just coming at you and coming at you for the better part of an hour. You don't, you, you don't hold a lead unless you are really good defensively. It also takes a little bit of luck. There's there's a few chances there that Brisbane have been taking all season that they would would have taken. It takes a few moments of, of individual brilliance from Delianov making a save there right at the death on the line. And and I can't remember who it was. It was a, maybe it was Jakobsen um, making a goal line clearance there just a few minutes before that. It was it was desperation defense from Adelaide and and you know it was brilliant on their on their part. But I, I think this all started for me as as a Brisbane fan when when I saw the starting eleven and it's been a lot of talk and I'm sure you can you can talk more about this because this is all the the Brisbane Raw supporters group chats that you were talking about is is uh, w- was Tom Aldred fit to play? He hasn't played for a month. Um, he was rushed back into the lineup and he looked well off the pace from the very first minute of the game. What are your thoughts on that? Well, we all know that I might be a bit biased because I'm a very big fan of Kai Truen. I think he's probably, you know, the best young defender we've seen in this country for a number of years. And I think he definitely should have started because not only was Aldred not, not fit, but Truen's an outstanding player. Colby, I think, tweeted something that a lot of people were thinking. And he, I think he said, you know, it's bad when you get skinned by Tommy Urich. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that just goes to show that Aldred was off the pace. And a lot of people, including the commentators, were expecting him to be subbed at halftime. And why he wasn't is a bit of a mystery to me. So, yeah, yeah I definitely... Definitely think it was the wrong call by Warren Moon, but you know what I mean. I can kind of see why he picked Aldred. His experience is a good defender, and if it if it worked out, if if Brisbane Roar ended up winning, they would have been saying he was a genius for playing Aldred. Yeah, it's exactly right. It's one of those gambles um, that you take as a manager, and and uh, it's kind of a similar situation where. Uh, Pep Guardiola started Sterling in the Champions League final who hadn't scored for six weeks. And if that comes off, you're a genius. You know, if he has a good game, then you're a tactical genius. And if he doesn't, then you're to blame. So uh, it's an interesting situation because obviously the first goal, Aldred was was caught forward, I think, a couple of metres forward of his own defensive line. And and to be fair, it was was a brilliant ball in from the fullback that, that hit Tommy Urich on the chest and a great first touch and tidy finish. But you know, Aldred was caught out of position and, and he, he was slow to turn and get back. And and then you spoke about the second goal as well. He got he got spun by Urich and who he took off and, and beat him for pace. And you know, it really wasn't the Aldred that we've come in to know over the course of this year and, and last year. So in a way, who who has to take responsibility for for that? Is you know, is is the responsibility all on Warren Moon? Is there partly a responsibility on on Aldred himself, who probably knew he wasn't at a hundred percent to play. And, you know, he's the captain of the team. He should be doing what's best for the side. Who has to take the responsibility there? I think if you're a player like Tom Aldred, you know, you, you know, your body better than, than anyone else. And if he knew he wasn't fit and he didn't tell the manager that he wasn't a hundred percent right, being the captain, that's not good. But, mm. you know, he could have, he could have thought that he was a hundred percent good and ready to go. Warren Moon could have thought, and you don't really know until you get out there. But seeing what happened in the first 20 minutes of the game where he was clearly off the pace, that's when Warren Moon needs to make the decision. He needs to take him off then. Even after the first goal, I know there was only four minutes between the goal, 
But you could see already in the first 15 minutes that Tom Aldred clearly wasn't right. He'd already been found out once or twice before that didn't lead to goals. Then he got found out and it led to a goal, even though it would have been a bit harsh subbing him off after 15 minutes. If you're injured, you're injured. If you're unfit, you're unfit. Kai Truen's very capable. And, you know, we could be talking about a different result if he had been brave and made that decision. Yeah. And look, I, I think there's, there's there's two parts to that, right? Because you're you're either looked at as, as brave and making a great decision or or you're also looked at as you just subbed your captain off after 15 minutes because he made a couple of mistakes, you know, stick with him. And, and, and I think Warren Moon really doubled down on that and he even said at halftime that Tommy was fit, he was ready to play, he might have made a couple of mistakes, but that's football, we'll get on with it. And he did make a couple of changes. Uh, he took Brindle South off at halftime, who who was poor in the first half, put Hingard on, and obviously brought on Alex Parsons. Who, I mean, wh- where do we start talking about him? His his impact off the bench today was brilliant, and and he's been brilliant all year. He'll he'll grab all the headlines uh, in in a losing performance for Brisbane. But yeah, where where do you start on his impact and and what kind of his role for Brisbane moving forward is? Yeah, he really changed the game when he came on and Adelaide just didn't have an answer for him. Every time he had the ball, you could see that Adelaide United defence and midfield just did not know what he was going to do. He was unpredictable. He was he was making attacking runs. He was making good attacking passes. Defensively, he was getting in there. And it was one of the great impact performances off the bench. And he just instantly linked up with his teammates around him, Corey Brown too. Um, pinpoint cross to his header. He nearly had Hingard a goal a couple of minutes later. And Alex Parsons, there's all the talk about Riku Denzaki, whether or not he's staying, whether or not he's gonna gonna leave. I think Alex Parsons is ready to step up into that starter role and become a star for Brisbane Raw next season. Not sure if you agree with can't speak agree with me being a Brisbane Raw fan if he's ready for that step up to the permanent starting role, but in my opinion he hundred percent is yeah, I I think that's just the natural progression of, of where he has to go. I think he has to start and he has to play 90 minutes every week and still be a star before I think he's ready to move on to wherever he's going to go. He's he's not going to stay in the A-League. He's, his ceiling's far, far beyond the A-League, I believe. But I don't want it to be a situation where he leaves now when he's not ready to go. He, he needs to be playing week in, week out, 90 minutes. And I think I think Warren Moon knows that too, not not just for his team, but for, for Alex's career. Um, Moon's he's had a, a long history of working with youth players and and we've seen this year he's brought a lot of young players into the Brisbane side. He he really believes in in playing the kids, as you could say. So I, I, I do think that, you know, Parsons will step up into a role like that. You were talking about Corey Brown there. I think there's a good bit of chat in, in one of the group chats I'm in that said, um, Corey Brown's like the the Aussie Matt Ritchie, <laughs> which I thought was a great comparison. So I hope that nickname's going to stick because uh, where, where where did Corey Brown's dead ball specialist come from this year? Yeah, I don't know. I had a chat to him, and that was one of the things I probably should have asked him where he's like crossing ability and stuff come because not to say he was poor with his crossing and his. Oh, he definitely was poor a few years ago before he went to victory at Brisbane. That's what everyone lamented, that he could get there, but he could never get the ball in. (laughs) I didn't think he was that bad, but he's really really taken it to another level where there's people on Twitter jokingly saying he should be in the Socceroos selection. But honestly, I think he's not that far off. 
It's weird to think it's Corey Brown and Socceroo. <laughs> but um, I thought I thought an interesting stat, uh, which I heard from this game on on commentary, was Brisbane Raw is the first time they've ever lost a home final. Uh, this is the eleventh time they've hosted a final in Queensland. Before this, they had nine wins and one draw in in Queensland. So Adelaide are the first team to beat Brisbane or or Queensland Raw in in a final in Queensland. And interestingly enough, it's also the first time that Adelaide have ever won a final away from home. So, you know, I think it was um, Andy Harper said history is there, uh, made to be broken. So it definitely was tonight on a few counts. We'll move into the the semifinals that that are locked in for, for the weekend coming up. We've got Sydney FC play Adelaide on Saturday and then obviously Melbourne City versus MacArthur on Sunday. HSN got in, got on Twitter and asked us, what are the chances of, of an Adelaide home final? So obviously for that to happen, Adelaide and MacArthur have to have to pip Sydney and, and Melbourne. What do you think? Are there any ch- is there any chance of that? Yeah, I honestly think um, any of these four sides could win these matches in the semis. I know Sydney and City were well above everyone this season, but also Sydney's missing Redmayne. I know Hewitt Bell was pretty excellent on his debut this season they're also missing grant and adelaide are a very good a very good side so take ryan mcgowan's away, away with the with the ruse as well isn't yeah, he? Him so, too. There, we, yeah. there we go so three so, key players missing for sydney three or four missing for city as well and bulls are missing a key player in john Rowe, but they showed with um martis in particular that they have plenty of depth in, the, in that midfield role so yeah it could actually happen Definitely going to be two really interesting games because, you know, as, as we saw from, from the games this weekend, teams can sit in and counter and break against teams that were playing better than them. And I think, although you, you, you could argue that MacArthur definitely deserved to beat Central Coast on the balance of the game, but it's, it's the way you approach a game. And, and when you're an underdog in, in a final, in a, in a knockout game like this, you, you can play a very, you know, easy way to put it is anti-football brand but it's it's not anti-football it's just a different way of approaching the game and it's what you have to do to get a result so yeah look I think both will be very interesting tactical battles and it'll be interesting to see if if the players that step into those positions that are missing for, for both City and Sydney if if they can do a job that's good enough that lifts them to the level for me I think I think Sydney at the moment are still favorites to go through and win the whole thing just in terms of the way they've been playing and the form they've kind of come in. So so I see Sydney getting up over Adelaide and I actually think MacArthur might get up over City just just on the run of form. But uh, how, how do you see both games coming out? You know, it's the A-League. You can never really predict it, particularly finals time. And you're right. Um, I do see MacArthur being a good chance to win because of City's form and they haven't really replaced McLaren, Metcalf, and Good. And Naboot just got injured, so again, yeah. So, so it's, it's going to be going to be a tricky one. But I feel like if MacArthur come out attacking, they will definitely get the better of City. As for the Adelaide and Sydney one, it's really a toss of a coin for me. Yeah, and look, Tommy Urich is going to be coming in with. With momentum, and, and we've seen he's one of those real momentum players. When he's confident, he can do he can do a lot of good things when he's confident, and when he's not got much confidence, he's not much good at all. So 
Um, he's he's really a confidence player, and he'll be coming in off a double and in a good performance against Brisbane. Really confident in that game, that against a very weakened Sydney back line. So yeah, any anything can happen, and obviously we'll be reviewing those those games next week. But next up, we'll jump right into the Socceroos. Shannon, we'll start with um, Australia played Taiwan at the back end of last week. Obviously, uh, 5-1 was the result in the end. Goals to Harry Suter, McLaren, Sainsbury, and then Duke got a double. What what were your thoughts on this game and, and who stood out for you? Yeah, it was one of those games where obviously soccer is dominated on the scorefront, but they couldn't really get control of the game, I think, the way Arnold wanted them to. Boyle lacked a lot of confidence, or was it Borello? Borello, sorry. Borello, yeah. a lot of confidence in this game for me. He even missed an open net. But, you know, I'm not one of those people that's going to ride him off after one one bad performance. I think McLaren found it hard to get into this game too. But, yeah, it was, it was a bit strange for me. I thought Curtis Good at left back was a bit of a weird one. So as for who really stood out for me, I don't think there was any player who was head and shoulders above the rest. I think all the team played good, but no one really was outstanding. Yeah, look, it was, it's always interesting when you swap all 11 players from the game before, right? There was a completely different lineup, not one similar, not one same player starting. So, yeah, and look, when I actually saw the starting lineup, I, I thought they were going to be playing three at the back, and, and I was kind of wondering, well, who's is Borella going to play as a wing back? Because... You know, I saw good Sainsbury and, and Harry Suter and thought, oh, well, that, that's a that's a ready-made back three. Um, and I, I was quite surprised to see them come out in a 4-4-2. I, th- I thought uh, Riley McGree was great. It was his starting debut for Australia. I think he also got man of the match. So he had a great performance. We know what he can do. And, and when he plays well, he can really influence games. Uh, I think he, he played wide in midfield, which which he doesn't usually do. He's, he's more of an eight box-to-box kind of player. But with with Kenny Dougal kind of sitting in behind Denny Genro, uh, there was no room for McGree in the middle. And he's a bit more versatile than those guys. So he, he showed that and he had a great performance out wide. But but again, like you said, McLaren, is his woes roll on for for the Ruse. He, he's, he's really struggled to find that, that kind of form he's found at A-League level for the national team. And, and when he's gone to Europe at times. So, yeah, I, I'm not sure what it is. Um, I do think that particularly Danny Vukovic and the back four will be really disappointed they didn't keep a clean sheet. Uh, I think Graham Arnold would have said going into this game, we need to keep a clean sheet and we need to score as many goals as possible. And that that's what we're going to do. And I think, but I think number one was keeping a clean sheet. And I think that, that'll really upset the team and the group as a whole. I mean, Harry Suter scores again. What's that? His, his fifth goal in three games. And I think I saw an interesting stat that was Harry Suter's now scored the same amount of goals for Australia in three games as Robbie Cruz did in 68 games or 75 games or whatever it was. So he's he's really he really likes playing against uh, the AFC countries and set pieces and loves his set pieces. So <laughs> to be uh, fair to um, Chinese Tapai or however you pronounce it. 
their goal was a very good goal. Um, the strike, the team played a little cross in, and you could see how much it meant to us, uh, meant to them. Sorry, and I know we would be disappointed not keeping a clean sheet, but I think we won six one in the end. We can let them have a goal. It was brilliant, in my opinion, yeah. just to see the passion. Yeah, look, and and obviously we went into the next game against Nepal knowing that we just we needed a win and we secured our way through. So. I mean, again, uh, we played four four two in this game. Uh, I think it was it was kind of a a mix between the first team and the second team from from the from the two games before. Redmayne got a start, which I thought was interesting. That you know, just trying all three goalkeepers, getting a go. But uh, f- for me, in this game, the, the standouts were were Irvine and, and Fran Karacic. I think was brilliant again. So. I think from from the two games he's now started for Australia, I think he's really kind of cemented that he's the first choice right back. What what were your thoughts on this game against Nepal? Yeah, I hundred percent agree with Fran Karasic. Um, he has just gone from strength to strength in his in his both games. He got a goal too. Um, yep. Irvine too was very good. Rustic, a player who I called out praise for before the first match, he was very good in the first match for the Socceroos. But with this one, he seemed to just be taking shots outside of the box for no, like with no purpose. There was runs being made by McLaren, Duke, Rukovica, whoever was in front of him. And he just wasn't playing the balls in. And you could see during the match, um, one thing I was noticing is Jamie McLaren, he was making these good runs and he just wasn't getting the ball passed to him. And he looked very frustrated at Rustic. I don't know if that's because Rustic doesn't trust McLaren or Duke or if he's just got a bit of um, momentum going behind him because he scored that screamer the other day where he thinks that every shot he's going to get is going to go in the back of the net. But it was just a bit frustrating. Um, Aside from that, you know, 3-0, people probably would have thought it would be a bit more. I'm still happy. We still won. And at the end of the day, I don't think there was a bad player on the park. And look, I I thought another good shout-out was Conor Metcalf. I think it was his starting debut for Australia. Again, it was brilliant um, in midfield. He did his job really well. But I think you're, you're talking about Aiden Frustich, and um, I actually think, again, we started a 4-4-2 in this game, which I thought was, was strange, and, and it's a question I'll ask you about in a minute. But I, I think it, on Frustich, on it was um, in the first game, he played far more of a central role, and it seemed like he would get his he would get the ball with his back to goal, and he was creating things by turning and spreading the ball wide. I felt in this game, every time he got the ball, he had his back to the sideline and he opened up and all he wanted to do was cut in and hit it. Like like you said, he just wanted to cut in and shoot or cut in and play the, the miracle ball. And I think he's far more effective when he's, he plays a 360 game in the middle of the park because I, I feel like he feels like he needs to play the ball quicker. Whereas out wide, he feels like he's able to take people on and do and, and try and do a little bit too much. But we, which leads me to my question about you know we, we played four four two in in back to back games now. Is that is that surprising for you, or do you think it was just a chance for uh, Graham Arnold to to tinker and, and to fit in players that need games? Because we've seen Graham Arnold in the A League, we've seen him now for the Socceroos, and and Graham Arnold's formation is a four three three. Or a three-five-two. He he very rarely plays a four-four-two. So so, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think with no disrespect to our opponents, we come into these three matches thinking that we're definitely going to win, and there was a very big air of 
him, you know, uh, tinkering around with everything and like playing around with players and formations. He was giving. Yeah, he was just trying things out, wasn't he? Well, in three in three games, he played four different goalkeepers. He gave Ruan Tonyuk a debut in midfield, which people questioned. <laughs> and then in the next game, Ruan was brought in midfield again. And I asked Ruan if he'd ever played midfield before, and he said he hadn't in his professional career. So Graham said Graham said that he believes in Ruan as a midfielder, but to be experimenting in the national team is a little bit strange for me. But yeah, it was very experimental for all these three games. We've seen three different lineups. We we still won comfortably, which is good in all the matches, but it definitely wasn't what we were used to seeing from the Socceroos and from Graham Arnold. Which leads into, obviously, we play Jordan in, in our next game, who are the strongest uh, team apart from us in our group. So what, what do you think the, the approach to this game from Graham Arnold is, is is it, okay, I've seen the team now for two weeks. I'm going to play my strongest 11 and we're going to go out there and do what we can. Do you think that's that's the idea? Yeah, I think despite the fact that we've guaranteed qualifications, I think Graham Arnold's done with the experimenting. I think he's going to bring the strongest 11, see how they all gel together and see what we can do against Jordan, who Australia have had troubles with over the past couple of years. I think we've only beat them once in eight or nine um, attempts. Particularly away from home. I don't think we've ever beat them away from home, which is which is a big thing if we can do that. Obviously, it's not in Jordan. It, it's in, I think, Kuwait City uh, where, where the hub is for these games. But, but yeah, I definitely agree with, you know, Graham Arnold will come in with, with the strongest lineup he can. But in, in your opinion, what does that look like? Who, you know, what formation and, and who comes into that team? Who Like, for example... Who starts up front? Is is it Leckie? Um, is it Duke who's been scoring goals for fun during these games? Or is it McLaren who's been scoring goals in the A-League? Who who starts as a nine for you is probably the first question. I think he's going to go with Leckie um, with two wingers either side of him. I think Karasic, even though people say that Ryan Grant's his favourite and Grant has a lot more experience in the international stage, I think Karasic has proven that he's head and shoulders above any other right back in the country. Center defensive partnership, I think Sutar and Sainsbury. Bayich, obviously, pretty much our only left back left in the squad. Yeah. And, and Irvine has really proven himself in the middle of the field. I think Metcalf as well has proven himself worthy of a try for and a I start. Think, and I think Kenny Dougal's also been brilliant in midfield as well, in that. And so is James Holland. So it'll be mm. really interesting. I think that for me is the biggest question is that. Midfield partnership is is Hustic going to play in the middle, and is he going to play two holding midfielders, or is he going to play two eights, or, or how is how is that going to shake out? Is my biggest question. Well, Graham Arnold said um, definitely that um, Aiden Hustic is our new number ten, and that's who he wants to build the midfield around. But he's only shown that in one match that he's going to mm. play Hustic as the number ten. So what he does when he picks his strongest lineup is anyone's guess, really. Yeah, look, I think it's going to be interesting, and I really hope that's the way Arnie approaches this game is to pick his strongest lineup because I, I want to see what he thinks our strongest lineup is right now. is is kind of the one of the only reasons why I want him to do it, and and I'd love for us to get a result against Jordan. Obviously, we'll we'll jump on to to the Matildas who who had a game against Denmark. Um, they went down three two. They started off really well, and and I know you watched this game live, Shannon. I saw some of your tweets and. 
And I thought they started the game really well and obviously had a disallowed goal. Sam Kerr was offside and had a couple of chances. Sam Kerr got a save and Razzo came in and almost almost got the rebound. But um, it was this, you know, a horror 10-minute ten, ten period from I think at the 14th minute to the 24th minute where we scored an own goal from, from Tamika Yallop and then you know, a poor defensive effort and a scramble in the box saw Denmark get a second and then, you know, a moment Mackenzie Arnold will want to forget sooner rather than later when she dropped the cross into her own goal. But uh, I, I think clawing back from 3-0 down to 3-2 was a good effort in, in itself against a team like Denmark. But but the defensive issues continue for the Matildas. Um, what were your thoughts on this game? Yeah, when I was watching it for the first uh, 15, probably 20 minutes, I was getting ready to be disappointed because our past two matches, the Matildas were really outplayed all over the park. And in the first 15, 20 minutes, I was excited. I was like, wow, the Matildas are playing really good, moving the ball forward, creating chances. And as you said, it just kind of unraveled a little bit at the back, um, which goes to show one of the big big issues among fans is our defensive um, depth. Yeah, again, Matilda's clawed back three goals to two. Um, I think we did that another match where we clawed back five goals to three or something with late goals. Mary Fowler showed her absolute class off the bench. And I think it's the first good. goal for Australia, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And yeah. we're very good midfield and attacking-wise, but it's just that defense that's been letting us down. And Mackenzie Arnold, I feel really, I feel really sad for because the talk pre-game was has Mackenzie Arnold finally become the Matildas' number one, you know, over Lydia Williams. And this was her big chance to prove that she was our first choice, our number one. And, you know, you, you hate to see a mistake like that from a goalkeeper. Yeah, it's heartbreaking to see that. And you could see the look on her face. She she was really, really disappointed by that. Look, I, th- I think a couple of good things that came from this game was – Emily Van Egmond played a hundredth cap for Australia. She's only the eighth woman to do that. Uh, she also wore the armband. I think it was also good to have both Ellie Carpenter back on the right and Steph Catley back on the left. I think that'll really help solidify the the defence for Australia. And I also think for Australia, uh, that's where a lot of our attacks start are through those two bombing forward and getting the ball into the box. So. You know that that's something to definitely build on, and and the other thing I had noted here was two two more debutants for Australia. So the W League keeps churning out quality players, and and this time we had debuts for Kyra Cooney Cross, whose Melbourne victory was rewarded for a season she had, brilliant season, and then Courtney Nevin, who's uh, another teenager who's at at the Wanderers at the moment. So yeah, the W League keeps churning out. Matildas and you know it's always good to see when when people make their international debut I, I guess it's a bit of a preview now for for the Sweden game on on Wednesday morning the Matildas have now conceded 13 goals in their last three games where do you start going you know trying to fix this Sweden are the fifth best team in the world yeah I, I wish I had the answer for that one but sadly I don't think we have the depth in defense to be able to just go okay we'll take We'll take these players out. We'll put more defenders in. Whereas the men's national team, we've got plenty of options we can pick. With the Matildas, you know, it's we've got, we got an aging Claire Polkinghorn and who else, you know what I mean? So yeah, I'd like to see Tegan Micah get a debut for the Matildas, probably biasly because she is a friend of mine. <laughs> um, 
I'd like to see Cooney Cross get a start because she has been absolutely brilliant for the for the Melbourne victory this season and the Wanderers last season. And yeah, I'd, I'd just like to see the Matildas keep up more of the same of what they did in the second half of this game um, against Denmark and in the first 15, 20 minutes. Hopefully, hopefully the result um, against Denmark doesn't make them get their heads down because there was a lot of good play from the Matildas. Yeah, look, and I think this is a really important game for uh, for the manager and for the managerial team. Um, obviously, there's been so much, so many questions and, and talk about them coming in and the, the results they've had since they came in and, and the way Stajic left and and everything surrounding the, the managerial position for the Matildas and, and what's going on there. So I think... I think this is a hugely important game for them, and I think the players will recognise that. I also think it, it was the first time we'd had both Polkinghorn come back into the lineup and Catley and Ellie Carpenter play together in something nearly two and a half years for the Matildas. So it's um, you know they're our three best defenders. Um, that that's the start of our back four, and I think. Hopefully we we can build off that and um and I'd love to see someone young come in and start along Polkinghorn as well. So uh, we we got plenty of depth in midfield and we all know what we've what we've got up front as well with I think Kai Simons back in the in the lineup too. So there's lots of lots of positives that we can hopefully bring from the Sweden game. But uh, what's what's your prediction um for this one? Chad? I think Matildas are going to win two nil. I would love to see that um, on Wednesday morning. I'd love to see the Matildas get a result. Uh, unfortunately, I I feel like Sweden are just are too well oiled of a machine right now. They're they're coming into to the Olympics as one of the favourites, I believe. So it's it's going to be a really interesting game, nonetheless, and, and a good preparation, I guess, um, for both teams. But yeah, so we'll we'll obviously be reviewing both the the Socceroos and the Matildas game next week on the pod and we'll be reviewing the the a-league semi-finals and previewing the a-league grand final until then enjoy the football mm-hmm.